Well, I hope one of the feelings you feel this morning is excited. I know I'm excited to be here. I, I always love coming here. Uh, you guys make me feel so welcome and uh, loved and just part of the family, so I appreciate that, and I love being here. I'm excited to share with you a few things this morning. Again, uh, my name's Jonathan, one of the pastors at, uh, at Norton, but we're, we're in the second week of the Feelings That We Feel series here at Grace Church. And this week I want to talk about one of the eight primary emotions that Jeff mentioned last week. It's a very, very real feeling that we feel. Because it's the feeling we feel when someone cuts us off and slows down in front of us and leaves their turn signal on. It's the feeling that we feel when we've, we've cleaned the floor, it's spick and span, and somebody walks across it with muddy, dirty shoes. It's the feeling we feel when we're walking through the living room in our bare feet and we step on a Lego block or a matchbox car. <laughs> it's the feeling that we feel when we hear about the human rights violations in North Korea or the senseless mass shootings in Las Vegas and more recently a small church in Texas. It's a feeling we feel when, when someone we're depending on fails to do what they promised to do. It's a feeling that often begins with frustration and, and irritation and annoyance but easily grows into something much greater. It's a feeling of being mad. It's a feeling of being angry. And as I've been, uh, as I read about this and was studying this, I just came to realize that, that anger can be a very challenging emotion. Because unlike emo other emotions that affect us first before they affect others, often the emotion of anger hurts others before it hurts us. And chances are most of us can look back over this past week and think of a time or two or three or more when our anger showed and was hurtful. And see, anger is a challenging emotion because not only can it be a vice, it can also be a virtue. But if we don't learn how to handle anger, it can be deadly to ourselves, our relationships, and our families. But there are times that anger is appropriate. It is, it is an appropriate response to something or someone that we love. In fact, anger is sometimes used to describe God's justice and, and holiness along with his mercy and patience. And when the Bible talks about anger, it's usually in reference to God and his wrath, and not only his wrath, but his slowness to anger as he deals with sin and injustice, with mercy and righteousness. There are times when anger is appropriate and even helpful. It's an emotion we need to learn how to express in godly and helpful ways. Because anger is a God-given emotion. And last week we learned that we need to see our emotions as more than just a bunch of chemicals and nerve impulses, but as gifts from God. Pastor Jeff said, we need to see all the different feelings and emotions, even the difficult ones, as gifts from God. Meant to, to help us navigate life and experience life to the fullest. God helping us uh, and growing us and shaping us as we feel these feelings that we feel. And it might be Kind of surprising to think of emotion, of, of being mad or angry as a gift from God, but God has woven this into our very soul. 
God has designed our bodies so that when we experience the emotion of anger, adrenaline is, is pumped into our nervous system. Anger is energy. But the big issue of, is what are you going to do with that energy? One of the greatest gifts that I believe we can give our children and grandchildren is to teach them how to make their anger work for them rather than against them. For example, anger can be a signal that something's wrong. Anger can alert us to the fact that, that we're in danger. Anger can provide us with, with immediate energy to deal with a crisis or, or take constructive action. Traditionally, the feeling of anger has been divided into those who, who get angry and, and those who don't. I mean, some personalities uh, lend themselves to the red-faced eruptions while others are just relaxed and easygoing. I think of uh, two friends I had in, in high school, and one was that red face, explosive anger, and, and you would be doing something, and all of a sudden, it was like, wham! <laughs> it was there. And then I had another friend, we would be doing something, and he would just look at us, and he'd say, now guys. <laughs> and that was his way of expressing anger. We knew that we had crossed the line when he said those words. So the truth is, everybody gets angry. It's just expressed in different ways. And so the question isn't who, get who gets angry, but why do we get angry? Well, here's what I want to propose this morning. We need to understand that anger is a form of love. You see, anger doesn't come out of nowhere. In one degree or another, anger is our response to whatever endangers something that we love something that we value, something that, that we're passionate about. And it's uncorrupted origin, anger is actually a form of love. Anger is love in motion to deal with a, with a threat to someone or something we truly care about, and in many ways it can be right. And so this morning I want to start with the problematic side of anger and then look at the healthy God-designed plan for this tricky emotion. It's right that we get angry when the delivery guy speeds down our street when our kids are playing in the front yard. I mean, it makes sense. The delivery guy puts our child in danger. It's right when we get angry about senseless violence, when we get angry about injustice around us. But I think if, if we were to be honest, as much as there are right instances for our anger, most of our anger isn't connected to the dangers surrounding our children or the wicked injustices happening around the world. As much as we love our children, as much as we care about innocent victims, our anger typically points to other loves. Our anger is, is found in, in disordered loves. And so inappropriate anger comes out of this disordered love in our hearts and our lives. Disordered loves are, are part of the age-old problem of taking good things and making them ultimate things. For example, it's a, it's a slippery slope that goes from really loving our children to unhealthily finding our identity in them. I think back when my kids played baseball and uh, just little kids out there and, and I see 
<clears throat> I would see and hear dads just kind of angrily pacing and, and, and their, their son would maybe uh, miss a throw or something. It was like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, and just explosion of rage. It's like, whoa, what is going on here? And what I came to realize is that those dads were finding their identity through their kids. And how well their kid was succeeding that day, they felt was a reflection on their identity and, and who they were. And we think about it, it's like, man, that's a heavy burden for a nine-year-old to be his dad's identity. You see, whenever life come, becomes about us or it becomes about me, it can take this dangerous shift. My love becomes disordered and, and it creates this unhealthy anger. You see, when our loves get disordered, our, our anger just goes haywire. We'll find ourselves getting annoyed at the, the simplest, most harmless things, the, the things that really shouldn't make us mad. I mean, being mad isn't always wrong, but if, if somebody slights your reputation, why are we why are we 10 times, 100 times more angry about that than some of the horrible and violent injustice that we see in our world? In other words, because our love is disordered, we get angrier over someone who pulls out in front of us while we're going to church. We get angrier about the Browns missing a trade deadline for a quarterback then we get angry about whole villages being slaughtered by radical extremists in Nigeria. You see, we get, we get angrier about our slighted pride or a minor inconvenience than grievous injustice. Truth is, if we find ourselves angry about just getting snubbed or an inconvenience, maybe the problem might be we love ourselves too much. Here's why, if, if what we're really looking for in our significance and security is, is people's approval of us. When anything gets between us and, and that thing that we want, that thing that we desire, that, that goal that we have for ourselves, we become angry. Well, we're, we're gonna be bouncing around a lot this morning, but Paul has a lot to say about anger in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four. In verse 22, this is what the Bible says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. And listen what he says. In, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Paul's telling us that anger is present. We should acknowledge it and, and not only acknowledge it, but then seek to control it. We're not to hang on, hang on to unresolved anger because anger was meant to be a visitor, not a resident. 
And so when we let the sun go down on anger and we let it, and, and we let it fester and simmer inside of us, Satan, the devil, will use it as a catalyst to, do, to wreak havoc within us. This turns to bitterness and, and revenge. Our anger will eat us alive and it will wipe out our relationships like wildfire. You see, because our love is disordered, we, we enjoy the power, the rush, the dominance, and the intimidation. It feeds our ego and our sense of self-importance. And Paul says, stop it. I want to take a look at an example found in Genesis chapter 4. And so you can grab your Bible or grab, uh, grab one from the back. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament, first book, uh, chapter 4. See, after Adam and Eve were, were kicked out of the garden of, of paradise, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. And we pick up in chapter 4, verse 2, now Abel kept flocks and, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And I think the first thing we learn about anger here is that it's a natural human emotion. The first race is only one generation old when anger shows up. Cain didn't have to manufacture this response of, of being mad, of getting angry. Something happened that Cain didn't like, and he got mad. And so the Bible tells us Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I, I think this, this shows us that our, our emotions are meant to be expressed. When we're happy, we smile. When we're sad, we cry. When we're mad, we scowl, we frown, we holler, we grit our teeth, or and it's to be expected, emotions aren't meant to be hidden or buried or stuffed. They're meant to be expressed in healthy, godlike ways. See, Paul acknowledged that we're going to feel angry sometimes and, and that feeling may not in itself be sinful. It's a natural human, human <clears throat> emotion, a reflection of God's image in us. But I find it interesting that the first display in human history happened in a home between two brothers. I think it's a picture of something that, that is sadly very true that we often get maddest at the people we're closest to. You know, maybe it's because we care so much. We have so much invested in those relationships. We, we expect so much from them. But sometimes it's just easier to get angry at the people we love. Those we love most are often the ones that we hurt the most. And some, something else we can learn from Cain's story is that anger tells us when something's not right. We get angry when things don't work the way they're supposed to, when a flight gets delayed or the weather turns crummy or we, we're pulling out the Christmas tree and we're stringing the lights and half the lights don't work. Our insurance doesn't cover an expense. A criminal gets off on a technicality. The turkey's too dry and Aunt Fiona fails to bring the cranberry sauce. And we get angry when somebody does something that offends something or someone we love. 
something we value. And something's wrong. Anger springs out from our our sense of justice and injustice, our sense of right and wrong, and that affects who and what we love. But too often our sense of justice gets skewed by our our disordered love and self-centeredness and we get mad that things don't go the way that we want them to. And sometimes when we're mad, it actually means that something wrong with us. In this case, Cain was angry because his brother's offering was accepted and his wasn't. And that didn't seem right to him, so he got angry about it. And we're not told exactly why it wasn't accepted. I I tend to think that maybe there wasn't anything wrong with the offering itself, but rather there was something wrong in Cain's heart. Maybe he brought begrudgingly rather than gratefully. We, we don't really know. What we do know is that Cain's anger told him something's wrong. I mean, anger is like this warning light on our dashboard in our cars. It, it tells us that something's wrong, it, that something's not working the way that it's supposed to. And we don't always know what, what it is right away, but we know we'd better find out and tend to it before something else bad happens. Anger is a signal that something isn't right with the world, with the situation, with a relationship with me. You see, what we get mad about reveals a lot about our heart and and who we love the most. Handled appropriately, anger can help us reorient our lives and seek a solution and and fix what's wrong and, and be reconciled with God and reconciled in our relationships with people. And I think maybe if Cain would have taken time to just analyze his situation, analyze his heart, and the outcome could have been totally different. Instead, here's what we learn, inappropriate anger expressed inappropriately leads to great harm. You see, anger presents us with this opportunity to do right or wrong. Anger itself isn't sinful, it's a signal something's wrong. However, what we do with that anger often determines whether it's sinful, whether it's wrong or not. So we continue reading in verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why, Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It's right there. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And at this point, Cain's anger was warning him, something's wrong in your heart, in the direction of your love. And the Lord's encouraged him, hey, analyze your emotion. Come to the right conclusion. You see, anger is part of this fight or flight instinct. It tells us that that something's wrong and we better act to make it right. We want to fix whatever's wrong. And so there is a good way, a a way to be good and mad. When we get angry about the things that God gets angry about, when when we act in ways that promote well-being and the purpose of God, it can be a virtue. But I think, unfortunately, Our anger far too often prompts us in ways that are harmful, even deadly to ourselves and others. Sinful anger is hurtful and and it's a a misdirected display of passion. 
And we see this as a result of of Cain's anger in verse eight. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. You see, Cain's anger over his offering being rejected told him something's wrong. But instead of finding out what was wrong, he tries to make the problem go away and he kills his brother. But we think about it, did did Abel do anything wrong? No. (laughs) Cain's problem wasn't with his brother, it was with himself and, and God, but instead of directing his anger at himself and inviting God into that anger to get to the root of his anger, uh, he directed it at his brother and he killed him. Did killing his brother help? No. All it did was increase the pain and the heartache. His brother was dead. His parents are now grieving. He is now guilty and afraid and more isolated than ever. You see, Cain's anger was hurtful and misdirected, and it only created more problems, more hurt. The book of James tells us, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, inappropriate anger is always about control. If I, if I yell out enough, if I speak harshly enough, if I sulk long enough, if I strike hard enough, I can fix it. I can make, pe- I can make people do what I want. And so anger gives us this illusion of of control, of reckless control. But as I've observed myself and and relationships around me over the years, I realize there's one or two ways that people respond to problems and respond to things that are wrong in their life in anger. They respond like battleships or submarines. You see, some people like battleships are aggressive and and when they see something wrong or they feel attacked, they they charge, guns blazing. Other people are like submarines and seem more passive and and when things go wrong and they see conflict and, and, and they feel attacked, what do they do? Dive, dive, dive. They're sneaky. And at first, uh, submarine behavior seems more socially acceptable. But in reality, it's just another form of hurtful, controlling behavior as they attack their target from underneath. Another way of looking at this is, are you a stewer or a spewer? (laughs) See, a stewer bottles up their anger like toxic waste dumped outside the city limits. And people think, well, the problem's been handled, out of sight, out of mind, but the reality is it's slowly contaminating and poisoning themselves and the people they care most for. And it leaks and poisons our soul, our minds, our hearts, our relationships. It comes in the form of headaches and and stomach problems and sleep disorders and other physical problems. Because it poisons our thinking, it it distorts our thoughts and perspectives, it ends up expressing itself in in the form of irritability and frustration and annoyance and, and a short fuse. And it leads to bitterness, hatred, and vengeance. 
Spewers have hot tempers and a short fuse. It's an explosion of anger, throwing things, punching things, kicking things, slamming doors. Some people have advised, well, that's the best way to, to get rid of anger. Just, you know, get it out of your system. Well, I think the Bible disagrees. I think we have an example here. Years ago, the, the advice columnist Ann Landers received this letter, and this person wrote, Dear Ann, I was shocked at your advice to the mother whose three-year-old had temper tantrums. You suggested that the child be taught to kick the furniture and get the anger out of his system. My younger brother used to kick the furniture when he got mad, and, and mom called it letting off steam. Well, he's 32 years old now, and he's still kicking the furniture, what's left of it. But he's also kicking his wife, the cat, the kids, and anyone else who gets in his way. And last October, he threw the, threw the TV out the window when his favorite team lost. You see, we use explosive, explosive words and actions to, to try to solve the problem, and it only makes it worse. We get action, but we leave a lot of damage in our wake. How many of us have said something we regret in the heat of the moment? Or needlessly destroyed something, a, a possession, a, a relationship? But the problem is, is that this kind of anger can be addicting. It's this rush of adrenaline, the, the sense of reckless control in the moment. And that's why Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. You see, anger becomes sinful when it's hurtful. Anger becomes sinful when it's misdirected. Cain was angry with God, but he took it out on Abel. You know, I think about that when, when we get mad at the waitress because our steak is overdone. <laughs> when we yell at our kids because we've had a bad day at work. When we punish ourselves for, for something someone else did, that's misdirected anger. It's misdirected and, and hurtful anger rooted in this distorted, disordered love. Well, God points this out to Cain when he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I've spent a lot of time this morning on this negative side of anger, but we want to go back and, and take a look at how anger can be rooted in love for God because appropriate anger is rooted in our love for God. Because so much of our anger and madness is rooted in pride and selfishness, disordered love and, and self-centeredness, feeling and putting action to appropriate anger takes discipline and it takes discernment. You see, appropriate anger is roused by evil that disrespects and, and, and dishonors and dismisses God's holiness and created order. Appropriate anger is moved by perversions to God's goodness and faithfulness and who he is. In other words, we care more about God's reputation than our own. We love God and the people that he loves and, and we love the things that he loves more than we love ourselves. When Paul wrote, in your anger, don't, do not sin, he was quoting from a psalm, Psalm 4, and which says, in your anger, do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Take time 
Paul's indicating there's a, there's a proper kind of anger, a good anger, appropriate anger. In fact, we have examples in the Bible of God's anger, and we know that Jesus got angry. But how is this anger different from inappropriate anger? Appropriate anger is not self-centered. It's, it's focused on injustice against God or others. It's slow to expression. It, it doesn't have this explosive nature. It doesn't, it doesn't respond irrationally. It's not expressed with pleasure. It takes no pleasure in, in, in punishing others. It does what is right. It, it never needs to apologize for its actions. It's always under control. It can be stopped at any point. You see, appropriate anger begins with a proper and directed love toward God and what he loves. Anger makes us aware, man, there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with, with our relationships. But how do we express this in an appropriate anger in, in an appropriate way? Well, I think appropriate anger needs to be expressed with compassion. You see, another characteristic of appropriate anger is that it's mingled with grief. It's described, described for us when Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he sees a man with a withered hand and he goes to talk to this man and the religious leaders of that day gather around. And they're ready to accuse Jesus of, of healing on the Sabbath day and, and of breaking the law and, 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 and they're adamantly opposed to Jesus healing this man's withered hand. But we read in Mark chapter three, verse four says, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. It says that Jesus looked at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He was grieved over their hard hearts. And I think this is so often how, where we struggle in our anger. Our grief over the person, our love for them is, is overwhelmed by our anger over their sin. It's overwhelmed by, by what they did to, to hurt us. A person does something wrong and we get angry, but there's no grief over that person's hardness of heart. We express our anger for what they've done, how they've frustrated, annoyed, or, or irritated us in some way, but we show no longing for their softening, for their transformation. You see, as long as there's hope for change, appropriate anger should not only be directed against sin, but also mingled with grief. That's the kind of anger that Jesus expressed. Even in his anger, he felt compassion. Anger over social injustice and evil in this world must be carefully mingled with grief and compassion and kindness that comes out of a deep love for God. But perhaps nothing else allows us to absorb anger more than the power of forgiveness. You see, angry people need to develop the, the habit of forgiving so let's just keep this simple. At the end of Ephesians chapter four, the Bible tells us, 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And if you have your... (laughs) If you have your own copy of the Bible, I encourage you to underline this, circle this. Forgiving each other just as. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, we're commanded to get rid of inappropriate anger, but how? The word here literally means to to remove or separate yourself from. Have you ever been walking through your house or your basement or or maybe the woods and, and all of a sudden you feel a cobweb on your face, a spider web? What do you do? You're like, whoa. You know, our instant reaction is get it off me, get get it off. That's the idea here. Paul's saying, get it off, quick. And he gives us this list of every relational wedge he can think of, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. He covers all the bases regardless of what you're harboring. He's saying, get rid of it. In contrast to to bitterness and brawling and anger, then he suggests that we extend kindness and compassion to those who've wronged us. And then he gives us the the means to put all these things away from us when he says, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, he frames this whole thing around Jesus. We're to extend the attitude of forgiveness that mirrors the kind of God, the kind God extended to us. That little phrase, just as, carries more significance than I think we'll ever realize. Because just as redefines, it elevates, it upgrades the meaning of forgiveness for us. Jesus forgave us, dying on the cross for our sin. He canceled our debt, a debt that we could never repay. He took it upon himself. He died for it. And rather than spewing or stewing about us, he gave his life that we might be forgiven. And so in the shadow of my, in our hurt, in the shadow of our hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward those who have hurt us. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is a gift from one undeserving person to another. As far as Jesus, we're not expected to treat others the way we've been treated by others. We've been called to treat people just as God the Father has treated us. You see, we, ne- we may never feel like forgiving someone who's hurt us. But unlike anger, forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a decision. It's a decision to do for others just as Jesus has done for us. So all this being said then, well, how then do, how do I get good and mad? The first thing I, I believe we need to do is we need to analyze our anger. To take time, it's like to see the warning and say, well, who, what do I love? Has my love been disordered or, or what? 
God uses this approach in Cain's story in verse six we read, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God was wanting him to analyze why he felt mad. Well, it's interesting in the Bible when God asks a question, he never asks it to get information, but rather to help a person analyze their situation from his perspective. Cain was angry because God had rejected his sacrifice. He was jealous of his brother. God went on to, to, to encourage Cain, do what's right. He warned him, sin is crouching at the door. His anger was leading him down this dangerous path. Cain failed to analyze his anger. He ignored God's warning and he murdered his brother. So we need to learn to distinguish serious problems from imaginary or unimportant ones. If the intensity of your anger is is greater than the circumstances call for, then ask yourself, man, what's factoring into my anger here? Where, where, is this, where is this hurt? Where is this reaction coming from? And so the first step when you feel angry is to acknowledge your anger and ask God, you know, what, God, what are you warning about? Invite him into your anger and ask questions. This, is this misdirected love? Who or what am I loving most right now? The second thing is eliminate the combustibles. Eliminate the combustibles. This past weekend, yesterday, I was cleaning out the garage a little bit for winter. And, and man, as I was going through stuff, I just like, man, I'm holding on to a lot of junk. <laughs> stuff that, that I've never used or will probably never use again. And yet I'm, I'm holding on to it. And I think, you know, sometimes I think we treat life that way. <laughs> we have a tendency to store up a lot of junk in our lives that doesn't need to be there. We store up unresolved issues with a, in our hearts, hurts, grievances, uh, annoyances. We keep a record of wrongs against us and every once in a while we pull it out and review, we review the list. But the reality is the more combustibles we accumulate in our lives, the bigger the explosion when anger hits. Think about when <clears throat> Jennifer and I were first married, we had a huge argument it was the biggest argument we've had in 27 years over our, our, over, our, um, over our marriage. We were experiencing a lot of stress and, and there was a lot of things going on in our lives. We hadn't quite learned how to communicate with one another well and we'd let things build up and all it took for this explosion of anger was a missing button. And I think we've all been there and, and that it doesn't take much when you've allowed the combustibles to, to kind of grow and, and collect in your life. It happens like that. We learn to eliminate, take care of the combustibles in our relationships and lives. A third thing is we, we respond thoughtfully. In other words, when people make us mad, we have a tendency to want to let them know right there, right then, but Proverbs, Solomon says, the, the words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush, but the words of the godly save lives. You see, our delayed reaction gives us time to evaluate the situation. Maybe we take a, a little walk to, and the help the exercise helps to burn off the adrenaline and so we can think more clearly. And maybe after we've had time to think about it, we realize, man, I, I think I overreacted. 
Or maybe I, I realized, wow, I didn't know all the facts. Maybe I misunderstood what was really going on and what was really said. You see, waiting to react gives us time to reflect and it saves us from having to apologize later. And so we ask ourselves, is, is my anger mingled with grief over sin? Is my response measured with grace and compassion, with grief and kindness, just as Christ has dealt with me? That leads to the last thing, and that is remember Jesus' love. Because the obvious solution to disordered love is an ordered love. And otherwise, we, we need the Spirit of God within us to reorder our love, to reorder our priorities. We need Jesus to rearrange our priorities and help us to know his love that surpasses all things. When our eyes are open to see and enjoy Jesus, we, we can care about the things that really matter. I ask the band to come up as, as we close, but just one last thing. You see, when we find ourselves responding to the circumstances of life with anger, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to invite God into that anger, to grow spiritually, to develop character, to honor God, and to love people just as he's loved me. We think about it this way, while suffering the greatest indignity and injustice, Jesus could have spewed in anger, but instead he prayed a prayer of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when Jesus chose to respond with forgiveness and grace, the greatest of all miracles occurred. Sin wasn't ignored, it was healed. Death itself was destroyed. A long chain of evil was broken and even a new pattern was established. Good for evil, blessing for curses, compassion for aggression. You see, and the, the day we determine to do this is the day that we learn to prioritize God's heart above all else. And we learn how to appropriately express our God-given emotion of anger with an ordered love. Let's pray.